Hi everyone, I'm Bree. And I'm Danica. You're listening to Brief. The podcast that reads your books for you. So you don't have to. This is episode three of The Great Gatsby, and we're covering chapters eight and nine and themes. So now we're in chapter eight. Well, eight is eight is even worse than seven. Yeah, you're right, it is. Okay, guys, get your Kleenexes. So, chapter eight. The next morning, Nick goes to Gatsby's house. I'm sure, like, after not sleeping, because who could sleep after that? It's a long night. He asks Gatsby what happened, and he's like, nothing. He waited outside the window till 4 a.m., and the light turned off. And Nick is like, hey, dude, I think you should go away. Just forget about this whole thing. Well, not even that, but, like, get out of town, dude. You're going to get convicted of murder. It's like that scene in Anchorman where he's like, I didn't mean to talk to you about that. (laughs) You might want to lay low. Because you're probably wanted for murder. Brick stabbed a guy with a trident. (laughs) So Nick has a similar conversation with Gatsby. In fact, it's word for word. Just watch Anchorman. You don't need to (laughs) read this book. Just go watch Anchorman. Anchorman is a modern take on Great Gatsby. Um, <laughs> nobody believed that. If you do, you need help. They're all in their English classes being like, okay, so they modernized Gatsby and they turned it into a movie called Anchorman. Ron Burgundy is Gatsby. <laughs> uh, oh my gosh. Okay, moving on. Okay. So yeah, he's like, leave town because your car is very easy to recognize. Everyone knows you have a yellow station wagon and that has been cited as the car that killed Myrtle. And there's probably blood and shit. Yeah, there's probably, you know, there's probably evidence. 1920s people, like, think it through. Watch. Watch some Law and Order. Criminal Minds. Yeah. SVU. Anything. So then, but then Gatsby's like, no, I can't. I can't leave Daisy. He can't leave Daisy. And it's like, bro, she's willing to let you go down for murder. She's not down. And if she is, she's not down for the right reasons. So just leave. And then he tells Nick his whole story about his youth and Dan Cody, how he met Daisy and how he was just like mesmerized by her wealth and she was like so happy-go-lucky. I don't know if that's, I guess, cavalier. She had wealth and security and so she didn't have anything to worry about and she didn't have fear, which... Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. I would love that. I'm afraid of getting in a car accident every day because I don't have health insurance. (laughs) That's where I'm at in life. And I think he grew up in, with so much instability that that's like, oh. So instead of like striving to build an all-around great life, he just focuses on wealth. Basically, Gatsby, he talks about how all the other guys loved her. And so that increased her value in his eyes. Gatsby always took what he could get and then he took he says he took Daisy one still October night took her because he had no real right to touch her hand because he lied to Daisy he was like I come from a wealthy family which we're not saying that you have to be rich to get with the rich yeah so he lies about his background says he's rich gets with Daisy but then I think probably because he's like I'm not supposed to be able to have her. There's some weird attachment issues. And he really like clings on to her, loves her. And he says, well, I'll read this part. Now he found that he had committed himself to following the Holy Grail. He knew that Daisy was extraordinary, but he didn't realize just how extraordinary a nice girl could be. She vanished into her rich house, into her rich full life, leaving Gatsby. Nothing. He felt married to her. That was all. So like he 
it says he has nothing and then the girl who has everything is choosing to be with him and so that's like oh you're my everything yeah and like no wonder no one will ever measure up and no wonder he doesn't care about anyone else ever again because like he said he committed himself to following the holy grail like nothing will ever reach her level in his mind even though she sucks she she really sucks she's not that great like she's not even funny so they fall in love he leaves for the war she says she's gonna wait for him but she doesn't she marries tom he does very well in the war really proves himself he tries to go back home but he was sent to oxford instead so that's where he when he went to oxford he was honest and that's why there are pictures because there wasn't photoshop back then Daisy, like, all of her letters were like, I want you to come home, I want to be with you, blah, blah, blah. Like, he wasn't crazy at that point. All of her behavior tells him, yeah, she's in it too, you're going to make it. But then she marries Tom, and he gets the letter while he's at Oxford, which is probably good because, honestly, I think if he got the letter while he was in the war, he would have died. Well, here's the thing. Daisy is stupid because how can you not wait for Gatsby? number one like we're talking about Leonardo DiCaprio here (laughs) you wait as long as it takes but also girlfriend is like 19 maybe how old do you think she is she's barely legal probably and it says she wanted her life shaped now immediately and the decision must be made by some force of love of money blah 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 she's literally like I have to get married I can't wait any longer because who knows why like freaking the clock wait is ticking and it's like sister you haven't even entered your sexual prime yet so then tom shows up and she's like oh cool i'm gonna and then he's him. like here's a four million dollar necklace and she's like sick <laughs> sick thanks so gatsby tells nick that he doesn't think daisy ever loved tom and if she ever did it was like only a little <laughs> it just only a little it was bit. only a little bit and it was like when they got married yeah 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 only a little bit and just right when they got married and she loved me even more than she loved yeah, him. Yeah, like, she still loved me more at the height of their love. It just reminds me of all the excuses that, like, girls make for their friends when <laughs> a boy doesn't oh, call. like, he's so intimidated by you. He probably got hit by a, a cat. <laughs> he's dead. So Gatsby eventually returns to Louisville, and Tom and Daisy were on their three-month honeymoon. So Gatsby was really self-indulgent and is a freaking masochist. I mean, like, I don't blame him for this. I would have done it. (laughs) Same. (laughs) So I would have done it for sure. But I don't. I'm not proud of it. (laughs) And he, like, walks through town everywhere where him and Daisy went just, you know, to soak it in, feel the loss. Retracing the steps of and their love. And he left feeling that if he had searched harder, he might have found her, that he was leaving her behind. A feeling we're all familiar with, but like you can't believe it. You can't repeat the past, You can't man. repeat the past. You can't be like, oh, I should have, I mean, okay, some instances you could have done more, but like people have their own ability to make decisions. And if they go off and marry someone else, you can't keep meddling. You got to just let it go. Well, and hate to break it to you, Gats, but, like, she wouldn't have married you anyway. Even if you had come home from the war early, you didn't have any money. it wouldn't have worked out. She's shallow. Cut to present day. They're in, Nick and Gatsby are in Gatsby's backyard. A servant comes to tell Gatsby that he's going to drain the pool um, because autumn is in the air. And if the leaves, like, might clog up the drain and might mess everything up, this, the 20s, piping wasn't great. And Gatsby's like, no, I haven't used it at all. (laughs) 
And I'd like to go for a swim. <laughs> the day you plan to drain it is the only day I want to swim. So he's like, okay, fine, I won't. And Nick has to leave for work, but he's just like, Do you, should I leave this guy alone right now? But he does. Nick tells Gatsby he'll call him around noon. And then as Nick leaves, he's like, I need to tell you something, bro. He says that they're a rotten crowd. You're worth the whole damn bunch put together. Which is it's so, so sweet. precious. And it's like, listen, don't base your worth on something that can be taken from you. Yeah, it's Nick really is always cute. glad he said that to him. And he said it was the only compliment I ever gave him because I disapproved of him from beginning to end. First, he nodded politely. Then his face broke into that radiant and understanding smile. So then Nick goes to work, but if he's anything like me, he's not getting work done. I think he falls asleep in his chair. I mean, yeah, like he's probably exhausted. He's been through some traumas. And he's like, okay, it's time to call Gatsby. He does, but the line is busy. And then we switch narratives here and we go back to the garage the night of Myrtle's death. So the night before. Myrtle's sister, what's her name again? Catherine. Catherine. The -the over-the-top chick. Was called, but she was too drunk to understand what happened. Same girl. (laughs) (laughs) And someone was like, I'll take you to the hospital so you can see what happened. Myrtle's in the hospital. She's dead. So Wilson stayed at his office, rocking on the couch, and Michael is just stayed with him. And then once Wilson, like, came to, he was like, all right, I need to find out who owns this yellow car. He tells Michael is... Michaelis. I know, but I'm calling him Michael is. Okay, Michael. Okay, is. so once Wilson is like back from his rocking fits, he's like, I'm gonna find out who hit her. And you know what? She was having an affair. And I bet the man she's having an affair with owns the yellow car. And mm-hmm. Wilson is like, Um, why do you think she was having an affair? He was like, Well, one time she came up from New York with a bruised face. And I found a dog leash in the drawer. Remember, she got a puppy. From Tom. She also got the bruised face from Tom. Yeah. She got both of those on the same day from Tom. So, like, two very different ends of the spectrum. Here's a puppy, and I'm going to punch you in the face. (laughs) (laughs) He probably got her a puppy because he knew that later that day he was going to punch her in the face. He's like, ooh, let's be proactive about this. So, he's like, yeah, so she was having an affair, and I'm pretty sure whoever she's having an affair with killed her. And Michael is like, whoa, 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 let's not jump to conclusions. And then Wilson says it was the man in that car she ran out to speak to him and he wouldn't stop like there's some truth to that yeah this is it's true because she thought that tom was in the car but he wasn't can we talk about how poetic it is that daisy accidentally murdered her husband's mistress poetic justice and so michael michael is was like you know what you're right about this theory myrtle did seem to be like trying to talk to the person in the car. Which, like, Daisy and Gatsby do not look like Tom. <laughs> it was dark. She was frantic. Okay. Okay. And all she saw was the car, and she's like, my husband's disgusting. He's trying to take me away. He locked me in a room. I really don't like Myrtle, but she didn't deserve to die. She didn't. So then Wilson walks to the window and stares out, and it's all poetic, and he looks at the billboard. With the eyes of Dr. T.J. Ecclebird, as he tells Michael, is that he had told Myrtle that night that she might fool him, but she couldn't fool God. And it seems that Wilson believes that the eyes on the billboard are God's eyes watching over the valley. He sees everything. And Michaelis is like, dude, that's not God. (laughs) 
That's an advertisement. That's an advertisement for an eye doctor. <laughs> so the next morning, Michael is, is like, I got to go. I have to get some sleep. So he leaves. And he comes back to the garage and Wilson is gone. I wonder where he went. People saw him walking around. So that's how we can piece together where he was. For three or four hours, he was not seen and no one knows what he was doing. Dun, dun, dun. Uh-oh. So on page 160, this is kind of like a rough timeline of Wilson's morning. The police suppose that he spent the time going from garage to garage inquiring for a yellow car. On the other hand, no garage man who had seen him ever came forward, and perhaps he had an easier, sure way of finding out what he wanted to know. By half past two, he was in West Egg, where he asked someone the way to Gatsby's house. So by that time, he knew Gatsby's name. So between morning and 2.30, he solved the mystery. Yeah. But when he says he had a sh- maybe he had a sure, easier way of finding out what he wanted to know, who knows who owns the yellow car? Yeah. <laughs> we, they don't know that we know that they know that we know. And so that's where Friends got that. <laughs> yeah. That, that, you should go watch that episode of Friends. It's based on Gatsby. But we're talking about Tom. We're talking about Tom because he was like, oh, Tom was driving this car earlier. So he obviously knows who owns it. So he goes to talk to Tom. And Tom, that bastard, tells him. It's not surprising. It's not surprising, but it's messed up. It's the worst thing he's done so far. So cut back to Gatsby. He was like, I'm going to go swimming. And he told his butler to come to the pool if there was a call for him because he was desperate to hear from Daisy. And he told his chauffeur, don't drive the yellow car and don't (laughs) take it out of the garage. We're keeping this here. (laughs) So... No telephone messages arrived. Nick says, I have an idea that Gatsby himself didn't believe it would come, and perhaps he no longer cared. If that was true, he must have felt that he had lost the old, warm world, paid a high price for living too long with a single dream. That is important. Because he's finally like, okay, my, my dream's not going to come true. Yeah, like, everything I built my life for is pointless. It's just not going to happen. He's focused too much on that one single dream. That had to happen exactly his way. He probably maybe could have had Daisy. If he wasn't so like, we need to tell Tommy never loved him. Exactly. The chauffeur hears gunshots and doesn't think much of them, which I... (laughs) Okay, that's one way to live your life. (laughs) And then Nick hadn't heard from Gatsby all day, so the afternoon he goes straight to Gatsby's house. And Nick, the butler, the gardener, and the chauffeur all go out to the pool together. And there they find Gatsby's body in the pool with George Wilson's body in the bushes. Murder, suicide. So Gatsby's dead, guys. Super sad. George killed him and then killed himself. All right, chapter nine, our last chapter. Here we go. Okay, the next days were filled with people coming in and out of Gatsby's house. Police, photographers, journalists. The papers picked up that Myrtle was having an affair. Everyone assumed it was with Gatsby, but Myrtle's sister Catherine was like, no, she never met Gatsby and she definitely never had an affair, which good for you, sister, for lying. (laughs) I feel like I would hope my sister would be like, she would never have an affair, even if she knew. Myrtle definitely did not deserve what came to her. So Nick is surprised to find himself alone on the side of Gatsby. Like nobody comes, no friends, no, nobody comes for Gatsby. And everyone comes to Nick with questions about Gatsby's life because turns out he's the only person that knows anything. Nick realizes he's the only person who had enough interest in Gatsby's life. So when it happened, Nick called Daisy, but she and Tom were already gone with baggage 
is what their servant said and didn't say where they were going. So they just bounced, which is not surprising. And Nick was just really desperate to get someone for Gatsby, like someone who he loved and who loved him, which is why he wanted Daisy to come. But she was gone. So he tried to call Wolfsheim, but he didn't answer. He tried to find evidence of Gatsby's parents, but he couldn't. He received a letter from Wolfsheim saying he was shocked and he was full of grief at Gatsby's passing, but he wouldn't come to the house because he said he can't get mixed up in things now. Someone calls from Chicago one day and Nick hopes that it's Daisy, but it's not. And then a telegram arrives from a man named Henry C. Gatz of Minnesota saying he's on his way and he asks them to postpone the funeral until he gets there. It was Gatsby's father. Nick describes him as a solemn old man, very helpless and dismayed. When Henry Gatz arrives, he tells Nick he saw what happened in a Chicago newspaper and came right away. And he keeps calling Gatsby Jimmy, which is really cute. It's so precious and sad. He and Nick talk about what a great man Gatsby was, and his father is clearly very proud. Nick, after this, pretty much loses all hope that anyone else is coming to the funeral because no one seems to care enough. The morning of the funeral, Nick tries one more time to get Wolfsheim to come. He goes into New York to see him, but he says he won't. Wolfsheim tells Nick how he and Gatsby got into business together. He said... They met when Gatsby had no money, and Wolfsheim says, I made him. I raised him up out of nothing, right out of the gutter. And as Nick leaves, Wolfsheim says this, which is really profound, but still not an excuse to not go to your friend's funeral. But he says, let us learn to show our friendship for a man when he is alive and not after he is dead. We can all employ that in our own lives. Sure, but also don't miss your friend's funeral. Yeah, like go to your friend's funeral. All my friends, this is my official demand that you go to my funeral. (laughs) So back at the house, Mr. Gatz tells Nick that Gatsby came to visit him a couple years ago and bought him the house he lives in now. And he tells him that he knew Jay had a big future in front of him. And ever since he made a success, he was very generous to his father. Mr. Gatz shows Nick a book that Gatsby had written in as a child. And every day he wrote out a schedule for daily to-dos and general resolves. (laughs) And was super ambitious. Can you imagine a child Gatsby being like, general resolve. <laughs> I must do this, this, and this. So they go to the funeral. They wait for people to show up, but nobody comes. At the cemetery, a man shows up. And it's the man in the beginning at the first party that Nick went to. When Jordan and Nick walk into the library and they see a man admiring the books. Nick talks to him after the service. And Nick tells the man that no one has come to see Gatsby since his death. And the man responds... My God, they used to come there by the thousands. The poor son of a bitch. It's so sad. Thousands of people came to his parties and no one came. But bless that man for coming to his funeral. Okay, so now Nick is talking to us, the reader. Not that he hasn't been talking to us the whole time. Anyway, okay, change of subject. Nick starts talking about his life in the West. He says that this story really seems to be about the West since all the main characters are Westerners. And he says, perhaps we possessed some deficiency in common, which made us subtly unadaptable to Eastern life. Nick decides to move back West because the East has become so grotesque to him. But before moving back, he goes to visit Jordan and they talk about why it didn't work between them. Been there. (laughs) Those talks are so fun. (laughs) So like, just, I just need to know what happened. Like I'm over it now, but like what happened? Which is honestly what Jordan does. Listen to what she does. She says, so Nick tells her his side. And when he stops, she tells him that she's engaged to someone else. And Nick's like, 
likely story. He doesn't know if it's true or not, but he doesn't think that it is. He says, I doubted that, though there were several she could have married at a nod of her head, but I pretended to be surprised. For just a minute, I wondered if I wasn't making a mistake. Here we go back to other men want her, and so am I making a mistake because maybe I want her. And then he said, then I thought it all over again quickly and got up to say goodbye. And Jordan says, nevertheless, you did throw me over. You threw me over on the telephone. I don't give a damn about you now, but it was a new experience for me, and I felt dizzy for a while. I don't care about you now. I'm fine. But it is kind of cute that she admits that, though. Yeah, like, that's nice. Okay, and this is what I wanted to read, because I think it's a fun little cute metaphor. She says, oh, and do you remember a conversation we had once about driving a car? And Nick's like, not exactly. And she says, you said a bad driver was only safe until she met another bad driver. Well, I met another bad driver, didn't I? I mean, it was careless of me to make such a wrong guess. I thought you were rather an honest, straightforward person. I thought it was your secret pride, which remember he told us it is. Nick says, I'm 30. I'm five years too old to lie to myself and call it honor. He's still, I think, a little bit delusional about how honest he is. So Jordan didn't answer. And Nick says he's angry and half in love with her and tremendously sorry. And he turned away. So many different feelings. So they don't end up together. So if you watch the first Gatsby movie that was made, I think in like the 50s, maybe? Jordan and Nick get married, but that's not true. Before Nick leaves for the East, he runs into Tom on Fifth Avenue. I would kick him in the balls. Yeah, same. At first, Nick refuses to shake his hand, and Tom admits to him that the day of Gatsby's death, George Wilson came to his house, and Tom told him that the car belonged to Gatsby, which we all knew, but Tom admits it. Tom says that Gatsby had it coming after all he did, and then hitting Myrtle with his car. Nick tells him that's not true, and they both know it. And also, after all he did, like, yeah, okay, he had an affair with your wife, who you're cheating on. Like, whatever. Exactly. He lives his life in double standards. He's so annoying. But also, he's still saying, oh, and then he hit. I wonder, this makes me wonder, I wonder if Daisy never told him that she was driving. But I also wouldn't be surprised if she did and he was like, no, whatever. Yeah, no, either way, he would have protected her. But it does make you wonder. Yeah. Okay, so Nick says, he says, I couldn't forgive him or like him, but I saw that what he had done was to him entirely justified. It was all very careless and confused. They were careless people, Tom and Daisy. They smashed up things and creatures and then retreated back into their money or their vast carelessness or whatever it was that kept them together and let other people clean up the mess they had made. So freaking true. (laughs) And then eventually Nick shakes hands with Tom and writes that he felt as though he were dealing with a child. When he is. No, he is dealing with a child. But I do, I don't know that I like that Nick shook his hand. Because how do you shake the hand of the man who killed your friend? Who killed your friend, who is an asshole. He's just the worst. I would, yeah, I'd spit in his face and be like, good day. Okay, so on Nick's last night in West Egg, he goes to Gatsby's house and lies on the sand of the beach in his backyard. He thinks of this island they live on and what it must have looked like to the explorers who first discovered it. He thinks of Gatsby and his dream of Daisy and how badly he wanted to reach it. All of us are alike in that way, he ponders. We all have dreams we are reaching out for, like that green light at the end of Daisy's dock. Okay, so now I'm going to read. Can I just read the last couple paragraphs on the last page? Yes, please do. And as I sat there brooding on the old unknown world, I thought of Gatsby's wonder when he first picked out the green light at the end of Daisy's dock. 
He had come a long way to this blue lawn, and his dream must have seemed so close that he could hardly fail to grasp it. He did not know that it was already behind him, somewhere back in that vast obscurity beyond the city where the dark fields of the Republic rolled on under the night. Gatsby believed in the green light, the orgastic future that year by year recedes before us. It eluded us then, but that's no matter. Tomorrow we will run faster, stretch out our arms farther, and one fine morning. So we beat on, boats against the current, borne back ceaselessly into the past. Guys, if that's not the best ending to a book you've ever heard, then I don't know what is. Basically, what Nick, what Fitzgerald is saying, I guess, essentially, is that when we create illusions or fantasies in our mind of like things that we want or people or whatever, not even that thing can live up to it. Not even that person. When he says, so we beat on boats against the current born back ceaselessly into the past. It's like, imagine a boat trying to get to the shore, but the waves keep pushing it back and back and back because you'll never be able to reach that thing because it's not real. Yeah, and I think too, like with the Westerners idea and like going back to the West, I feel like there's like some sort of, and I don't know how to articulate it, but something all working together to be like, hey, like we came to this country and this land for new opportunities and for a better life yeah so you have to keep that possibility for people you can't just have upper class lower class and that's where you are and that's where you stay like if you want the American dream to like work hard and change your life then like we have to let go of some of these ideals in order for the American dream not to just be a myth okay so that's the end of the great Gatsby and now we are going to go through major themes of the novel let's just do one at a time a lot of places on the internet you will read about the theme of the american dream but a lot of times it will say the disillusionment of the american dream or the decline yeah or the decline disillusionment just means it's like a disappointing discovery that the American dream wasn't as good as you expected it to be. It's like dating someone. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, seriously. (laughs) So the American dream, I feel like everyone knows what it is, but it's basically like... It's like the lie of, hey, you can rise from nothing and like you will be happy. Yeah, you you can be poor and you can rise up and become, you know, wealthy or powerful or whatever. Okay, book set in the 1920s. At this time, the American dream is, or not, damn it. (laughs) The American economy is booming. But like the American dream is also booming. Like people are like buying into it and being like, totally. Yeah, and that's what Gatsby did essentially, right? He came from nothing. He built himself into this wealthy man and he did it by doing illegal things and bootlegging and all that stuff. Which isn't technically the American dream, but he still came out with a ton of wealth. And but and he wasn't happy. And that's what the American dream also promises. That like once you get these things, you will be happy. Yeah. Oh, I guess also too, like the American dream focuses so much on materialistic things and not like virtues. It's not celebrated to be like honest and kind and generous. It's celebrated to be like what do you have? Oh, you have a nice car. You have a nice home. You have a pretty wife. Cool. 
You're a good man then. You're a good man. Is she in the kitchen? What's she doing? Did she make you a sandwich yet? Basically, The Great Gatsby is a cautionary tale about the American dream. Gatsby tries to achieve it, but he gets all this wealth and he's still unhappy and still ends up dying a tragic death. (laughs) But like if he wasn't so focused on all of that, he might have lived. Yeah. Even if he did exactly the same thing he did to gain wealth, like illegal stuff to get wealthy, even then... If he went to Daisy and was like a normal human being and wasn't so focused on the past, he probably would have gotten her and been happy if he wasn't trying to like fulfill this fantasy that he had. Yeah. Which brings us to theme number two, which is idealism and fantasy. And again, we've said it before, we'll say it again, not completely faulting him for it. Like everyone's guilty of it to some degree. But it's like preferring your fantasy over reality and not allowing room for reality to be what it is and loving it for that. Beautifully said. Thank you. Because Daisy's just a figment of his imagination as he has her in his mind. And like that's always going to be disappointing no matter what. No matter what because she's not real. I mean, but Gatsby also fantasized himself and what he wanted to be. And what he had to be in order to get Daisy, right? He's like, I'm going to throw all these extravagant parties and like be, I don't know. I think he thought the the whole like telling her that he moved across the bay and could see her light and admitting all of these almost creepy things to her. This is what he needed to do in order to get her. Like he fantasized himself as well. Well, he also was like, I mean, I should have a quote right in front of me. But I don't. But um, I know we've talked about it at length where he like says basically like this is how she'll react and like this is how it's going to be and this is what's going to happen. He basically tried to control the outcome of everything instead of just his actions. Mm -hmm. And he was like, no, 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 no. Like you don't have a daughter. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. You never loved Tom. You didn't love Tom. You don't have a baby. Yeah, and something that when I was going over themes that I realized is that throughout the book, a lot of the characters, and I mean, everyone does this, but they like instill meaning in things that don't actually have meaning. Yeah. Uh, Like the billboard of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg. George is literally looking at it being like, that's God. Yeah, and it's like... "Mm." Not quite. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, oops. And the green light at the end of Daisy's dock. Gatsby puts all of this meaning into it when it's just a green light at the end of a dock. It's just like, hey, boats, don't run into my dock. Yeah. And Daisy herself. Gatsby instills meaning in Daisy being like she's perfection but she doesn't deserve that and really she's just a vapid bitch (laughs) that's amazing and so Gatsby in reality he's not in love with Daisy he's in love with the idea of Daisy his fantasy of her so then that comes all full circle at the end when Nick says we're boats beating against a current because if you're pursuing this dream that is based on things from your past and you're trying to get this fantasy that you've created from your past, you're not going to get anywhere. You're just beating against a current. Yeah, you're just going to get tired. Your arms are just going to get really tired from rowing. And the only thing that might come from it is some nice pec muscles. Yeah, some nice pecs, some good shoulders. And maybe you'll make the Harvard rowing team. But that's the best that'll happen. (laughs) 
Okay, so then I only have one more theme I want to talk about. Do you have more than that? I think those are the three main ones. So then the decadence and excess one? Yeah. We've, like, touched on it, and it's pretty... Yeah, it's there's not a lot. It kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with the American dream, where it's, like, there's so much emphasis on materialism and not on, like, noble virtues, and everything is just money and... And, like, everything is about society, class, and even if you are Gatsby and you get all of this wealth you don't have the respect because it's new money and it's not old money. But nowadays, if you have old money, it's like, well, you inherited it. What have you ever done to work for that in your entire life? You trust fun baby. Yeah, it's like, no, no, no. They've built themselves from the ground up. Yeah, so I think that's a pretty good briefing of the themes. And just like that, we're done with The Great Gatsby. Go follow Brief Podcast on Instagram right now so that you can know when we post new books and also send your syllabi to our email, hello at briefpodcast.com, so that we know what books you need briefed.